St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. Imagine what it's like to be an artist whose work comes from a very emotional place. You're part of a traveling exhibition, but at the final stop, your painting is cut from the show. It tells me that my people are not important, that I don't matter, my people don't matter. And that's when I take it personal. That's Fabio Rodriguez. He's a St. Louis artist who grew up in the Dominican Republic. And for him, what's happening, of course, was heartbreaking. But is it censorship? I'm Nancy Fowler. And I'm Willis Ryder-Arnold, and this is Cut and Paste. So there are a lot of reasons a painting might be removed from a show, but when does it constitute censorship? We turn to an expert of sorts. I think of censorship as very much a top-down process. That's Angela Miller. She's a Washington University professor of art history and archaeology who explains it this way. It can be a powerful institution, it can be a governmental institution, it can be a private institution, or it can be a private individual like Nelson Rockefeller, but using that authority to essentially remove free speech and discussion, the possibilities for discussion and debate from the realm of public discourse. So we have this definition of censorship, but sometimes it's hard to tell what's going on. Let's take a look at three recent examples connected to St. Louis. There's the situation at the Contemporary Art Museum last fall after community advocates demanded that they remove that Kelly Walker exhibition called Direct Drive. We did a cut-and-paste episode on that, remember, with that couple who disagreed on what steps that Cam should take? Yeah, they were fantastic. A really lively episode. Absolutely. It showed just the, the discussions and the debates people were having. In the end, Cam did not take down the work, but they put a wall in front of it so it's not as easily viewed. And then there were two Washington, D.C. incidents with local connections that we've covered to various degrees. One involves a historical painting by George Caleb Bingham, a St. Louis favorite, from the St. Louis Art Museum. The other is the work of a teenage artist who addresses the relationship between the African-American community and law enforcement. So we'll return to Miller, our professor, in a moment to talk to her about those incidents. But first, let's get back to Rodriguez. He's an art teacher at DeSoto High School in Jefferson County as well. Rodriguez's painting was pulled from a traveling exhibition called Moments of Silence, the Ferguson Experience, in early 2015. His work showed protests and a tense scene in his homeland, the Dominican Republic. It's pretty graphic, but it reminds him of what he saw after Michael Brown was killed. It's called exasperation, and it's when people reach their limits and they explode. And this happens in a lot of places. I grew up seeing this quite often. The first time that I had seen this in the United States was actually with the events of Ferguson. I had never felt like that before in the United States, but I had felt like that when I was younger. Uh, a lot of times they'll cancel our schools. Instead of having snow days over here and we'll get a, a break, what we had was, oh, the, there's a strike today. There's a general strike and there'll be teachers striking, there'll be people, especially in the poor neighborhoods, just asking for basic rights. What it says over here is, lo que queremos es luz, agua y comida. What we want is uh, light, electricity, agua, water, y comida, and food. Just three basic things that every human being should have. 
and some of these people feel like they've been deprived of that. So we have three people, their faces are mostly covered, and they're throwing yes. Molotov cocktails. Mm-hmm. A car is on fire. And then you can see a tire. This is a very common thing. I have not seen that part here. I was wondering if I was going to get to see it or not. It seemed like in, an, in the course of three days in Ferguson, I seen how it transformed into this. I had not seen the people wearing the T-shirts when you can make almost like a ninja looking mask out of it. I was used to seeing that over there. And then the Molotov cocktails and the tires. Did you paint this before or after Ferguson? Oh, way before. This is at least 10 years. This piece and the traveling show had been shown at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, Harris-Stowe University, and Lincoln University. And its final stop, as we said, was Florissant Valley Community College. But that's where Rodriguez says things went wrong. They censored it. They said, we don't want this piece here. That was to me the shocker. That's what brought me down and just brought some old things back and uh, it, it just didn't feel right. Um, normally, I, if you need to censor the artwork and you explain it to me beforehand, I'm fine with that. I was aware there's going to be censorship, but don't tell me yes one day and no the next because it, it tells me that my people are not important. And that's when I take it personal. People say, don't take things so personal. You're too sensitive. Well, this, I am sensitive to this. This, this is what inspired me to make the artwork. I, I'm very serious about what I'm talking about. I would not dedicate weeks, months, years on building artwork so that you can learn about my people and then tell me that you don't want to see it. It tells me that I don't matter, my people don't matter. Did they give you any reason, any justification, or was it just kind of like, nope, it's I, not in it? It looked, uh, it, it said something about violence. It was showing violence, and they had mentioned how some of the people who go to the school had already gone through the trauma of the Ferguson riots and everything, so they did not want to take any risks at exposing them into anything new. I know that we're going through a lot of stuff in that area, and I completely understand. That's why I decided to back up and just let them show something else in there. Uh, if, it, if it wasn't the, what they were looking for, then I should not have been there. And, that's, and I can live with that. Just the yes and no and maybe, and it's a roller coaster of emotions. I want to be mentally prepared if you're going to turn me down, not just all the time to go, oh, no. So I, that, that's, that's where, I don't know, I felt really low. I, I, I felt I felt not belonging anywhere. And here we're going to interrupt for a second to talk about the school's point of view. Rodriguez provided us with an email about the piece from a Flow Valley College gallery official to the local Coalition of Artists for Peace, which represented the artists in the show. And it said, quote, This was going to be a reflective exhibition focusing on Ferguson and not reactionary. Recently, we talked with the college's communications representative, Kedra Tolson, who says they were trying to look out for their students. So with that time coming so fresh on the heels of what was going on in Ferguson and with some of our students residing in Ferguson who were very sensitive and dealt with a lot of the issues that were there, we had to be careful and responsible, you know, as an educational institution to make sure that we didn't have anything on display which could possibly cause any kind of issue. But Rodriguez says that's not enough reason to keep the work from the public. My intention was not to trigger anything like that. My intent was to have a conversation 
one of the big things that was part of this exhibition was the artists going up to these colleges and okay. having a long conversation. So you're prepared so to fully an, explain? Yes. 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 And that's what I would do. I, I went to all those universities and I did a presentation. And there was no uh, problem or issue with the work in those no, previous exhibitions? people could relate. They liked the work. Many of them wanted to even join me. They said, oh, you want to show artwork? Can I join you and do more shows? And yeah, sure. And there were people from Ferguson at all those events. I felt like we had something in common. We, were, we could all learn from one another. And, and I just wanted to show people how much bigger this whole beast is, what we're dealing with, that it's not just here. Because sometimes when you're going through a rough time, you think you're the only one. But when you meet somebody else that goes through the same thing, you can learn from one another. And you can create relationships and build from that. And that's what I was looking forward to. Another comment that was mentioned, it was like, uh, it, it did not have any direct reflection to Ferguson. These are universal themes. Uh, some people think, oh, maybe he's trying to, you know, get some attention. I have my career as an educator, so when I'm making these works, I'm not even putting them up for sale. The work was not for sale. This work was not for sale. I have actually been offered money for the pieces before, and I would not sell it. Why is that? Because I want to continue telling the stories. Okay, so that's what's important to you. That's what I want to gain from it. I need people to know where I come from and about my people. That's That's what drives me. Now, like, I've been able to exhibit in so many states and different countries, and no problem. People just actually pay for me to go somewhere and exhibit my artwork now and then when I want to show in here where I live now, it seems like it's harder than any other place. To make sense of this and the other three situations that got us interested in the topic of censorship, we turned to Angela Miller, the professor who started us off with that working definition of censorship. She teaches classes on the intersection of art, democracy, and culture. And she's really got a developed sense of how these things play out culturally. First, we ask her about Rodriguez's experience. Yeah, I do think it's censorship. I don't think Flow Valley has the uh, right to dictate where people's sensitivities lie. I mean, I th- think probably it's it's worth a warning, I suppose, although I do think, you know, there's a whole debate over trigger triggering, um, and uh, certain institutions like the University of Chicago have said, no, we're not going to give trigger warnings. Education and growth uh, in, in this complicated world we live in is, is about exposure, and it's about widening your, you know, your sensitivities rather than closing them down and protecting them. So for them to say, you know, we don't want to exhibit this because we're afraid it might trigger, I suspect it was something else going on that they felt somehow that the, the image was too incendiary, it might offend certain individuals or something. But no, I don't. I think that is censorship, and I think they have no, no justified reason to do that. <laughs> but then there's one recent incident she says was not censorship. This January, a local artist and art historian started a petition to keep George Caleb Bingham's painting that belongs to the St. Louis Art Museum from appearing at President Donald Trump's inaugural luncheon. It didn't work. The painting was shipped to D.C. and it was shown, but some said a successful petition would have amounted to censorship. Miller disagrees, though, because the work has been still available to the public all through this experience. 
So keeping it at home, I don't think that really constitutes censorship because that's where it already is. You know, so you're just not letting it travel into the world. They're not taking it down. They're not taking right. it I down. Mean, no, it's still so that's available. that's what makes it not censorship. It's exactly. No one took it down from where it was. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I think that's right. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious about it because then it's two institutions that are up against each other, not necessarily an individual in an institution or a constituency in an institution. It's like the government and so they're not equal in terms of influence and power, but it is like then an institutional quarrel instead of like constituency. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I suppose it is. I suppose it is. Later in 2016, there was a kerfuffle in D.C. over a painting made by a St. Louis student. 18-year-old St. Louis high schooler David Pulfus, who lives in Congressman Lacey Clay's district, won an art contest to show the work at the nation's capital. His painting portrays a clash between police and protesters in which the police are depicted with pig's heads. One protester's head looks like that of a wolf. After it hung for several months, a Republican lawmaker from California objected to the piece and removed it which Miller says was not an act of censorship because a specific individual was acting alone. I don't see that as an act of censorship. I mean, it's an act of personal venom (laughs) and pique by one congressman, but it was not authorized by the larger body of the Congress. As I understand it, a constituent of of Lacey Clay Uh, had a work of art that was exhibited that really expressed community sentiment about the police in a very authentic and real way and uh, had it was exhibited at presumably uh, through a consensus of his fellow congressman and one individual took issue with it and took it down. Well, that's, you know, that's not really censorship because it's only censorship when it has institutional power behind it. So next, Representative Clay put the piece back up. Then it came down again when the architect of the U.S. Capitol's office, which is in charge of what's displayed on the walls in the building, made what looks to be a lasting decision. The agency says that the work violated the rules of the building because it was too sensational. Miller says that flips her view. Then that does constitute an act of censorship because presumably he's acting at the behest of the, of the Congress. When it's the official person in charge who's taking it down, and that's a you know defining act. Then it then it's censorship. The final example is closer to home and one we've heard about a bunch: the Cam incident this fall. Here's a quick overview. At the Contemporary Art Museum, the Kelly Walker exhibit called Direct Drive included several pieces that many people found offensive. One piece was a wall-sized image of a scantily clad black woman on a magazine cover who was smeared with digital toothpaste. A number of people from the African-American community and others called for the work by this white artist to be removed by the museum. The museum said no, the work would remain. Now Miller says this was not a case of censorship. Number one, the call for removal was not an attempt at censoring because the critics weren't part of an institution of power. Number two, the institution itself left the work up. So bottom line, no censorship here. Still, Miller says the situation wasn't handled well. Now, the public protest and clamor that that exhibition generated, I think, could have been a point of entry for a a wonderful expression of of, uh, discussion and debate about how those paintings, how those works of art signify differently to different constituencies. Um, Instead of which, unfortunately, I think the, the curator... And the artist took cover behind the, you know, rather arcane theories of contemporary art 
and assume that the public simply didn't understand the work. Well, you can't simply discount other audiences, other avenues of reception when you're presenting contemporary art to a public audience. But I think that was a misstep because this is democracy in action. This is what we want. You know, we want the public to get involved in cultural institutions. Um, and the fact that they didn't become involved or, or sort of shut down, I think, was a lost opportunity. As you can tell in this discussion and with these examples and with Rodriguez's own story, there's a lot of gray area. But Rodriguez says there's no questions that censorship or even perceived censorship can have very real effects. He says, first of all, that artists will make safer work if they fear being censored. Of equal importance is that danger of diminishing the artist as a person with something to say. He pulls from two incidents we've talked about to make that point. Kelly Walker gets a wall built to protect his artwork. This kid gets it put down four times. What does that show that kid? That his voice is not important, that, that he's less. That was artist Fabio Rodriguez talking about the consequences of censorship for artists. We also heard from Washington University professor Angela Miller. This is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast, produced by Willis Ryder Arnold and Nancy Fowler, with help from our editor, David Cazares, and our producer, Stephanie Lecce. The music you heard throughout the podcast was from the producer, Trifecta. You can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. St. Louis Public Radio's podcast series, Cut and Paste, is made possible by space, architects, designers, and builders, creating St. Louis's favorite spaces. a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.